Hi, this is Michael Buffer, and welcome to the Box Hard Podcast. Hello, everyone. This is Mikey Garcia. It's the monster from the swamp, Regis Ruguru Program. Hey, what's up? This is King Carlos Molina, former IBF world champ. This is Michael, the bounty hunter, 2012 Olympian and your people's champ. This is Charlie Edwards, flyweight champion of the world. This is Fast Eddie Chambers, and you're listening to the Box Hard Podcast with my main man, Joey Coastman. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 389 of the Box Hard Podcast. I'm your host, Joey Coastman. I'm joined, as ever, by former heavyweight world title challenger. It is, of course, Mr. Fast Eddie Chambers. Eddie, how are you doing this week? And happy birthday as well for yesterday. Hey, man. Thank you. I really appreciate it. I'm doing great, man. Appreciate you. No problem at all, Eddie. How about you? I'm good, my man. I'm good. Good as always when speaking with you. Um, I would sing you happy birthday, but um, I don't think you deserve it, to be honest, Eddie. <laughs> <laughs> You're probably right. I don't. I don't think I do either. Okay, my man. Here we go. We're going to dive straight into the review part of the show. I'm sure the listeners much prefer to hear about that than me singing. Um Anyway, let's start here at the Montreal Casino in Quebec, Canada. Over here, we saw Christian Mbilly. Uh, this was, by the way, last Friday, which was March 23rd. Christian Mbilly now 24-0, a unanimous decision there over 10 against Carlos Gongora, now 21-2. and It was for the WBC Continental America's super middleweight title. Um, yeah, you know, I expected Mbilly to win. Um I don't remember if I thought it would be points or, or or knockout or whatever, but yeah, I'm not I'm not too surprised by the outcome. You know, I think yeah, it's kind of what I expected. On the undercard, um, Simon Keane now 23 and one, a TKO for him against Eric Molina, who's now 29 and nine. I did say you can pretty much put your house on this one to you know to to be a knockout for Keane. He's a big puncher. Um, I didn't expect Eric Molina to actually go seven rounds though. So I guess I mean I didn't see the fight, but I'm guessing like credit to Eric Molina. Like I say, friend of the show, really really nice guy, but. He just doesn't have it anymore, and he needs to really hang up the gloves or at least consider it. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it, it kind of tells me that he showed a bit of heart there to go seven rounds, and a lot of people have questioned his heart in the past. We've seen him go very early in fights, most of his most of his knockout losses. But, um, yeah, Simon Keane, 23-1, and one, Eric Molina, 29-9. and nine. Uh, Moving out now to the Bolton Whites Hotel in Lancashire, United Kingdom. This one was live on Channel 5 in the UK. I'm going to start with the undercard. Sultan Zorbeck now 14-0, a TKO for him in round five against Requen Arce, who I think may have been a may have been a late replacement. Not entirely sure. He's now fifteen and ten with two draws. Um, but the main event, Lyndon Arthur, now twenty-two and one again. Friend of the show. Don't want to be too critical, but he got in there with a guy who had really late notice. I think he had about somewhere between about twenty-four hours and maybe about forty hours. He he didn't have two days' notice. That's what I know. And Boris Crichton, who the late replacement was, manages there to go 10 rounds in what I thought was really, really um, 
you know, close fight, to be honest with you. And um, Crichton was down in the 10th and final round, and I thought, wow, that might have cost him the fight. But in the end, I think the scorecards were, were way wider than they should have been. And, yeah, I mean, Crichton started the fight excellently and, you know, naturally, I think, faded a little bit towards the end because, like I say, he didn't have much notice for the fight. And I think they said he was, like, you know, not even doing much boxing recently. He was doing a lot of hot yoga um, but yeah, really poor showing from Lyndon Arthur, who of course blamed it on the fact that he had a late, you know, a late replacement change. He expected to be fighting a guy that was a real big puncher, um, and Crichton obviously wasn't a puncher, and it was just a completely different style, which I understand. But still, Lyndon Arthur really should have had him out of there, man. You can't let a guy jump in with you, you know, on two days' notice and and, and go the distance, especially if you're a light heavyweight who can punch. It just it's just not a good look, especially if you want to, you know, make make big waves in the sport and come again off that off that loss to to, to Anthony Yard. Um moving out now to the Tupatemi Air Force Central Stadium in Bangkok, Thailand. That's a mouthful there. Over here with Saxel Wangek, aka um Sarisaket Sorungvasai, aka the Rodent Eater on this show. I never forget the image of him holding a big rat about the size of his head and a big chunk of his side missing and um, a mouthful uh, from from Wangek. It, it really made me think different about the guy, but boy, oh boy, can he fight. He's now 51-6 and six with a draw, a TKO in round three against Pipat Chaiporn, who is now 48-17 and 17 with two draws. Moving out now, though, to the Manchester Arena. Again, this one was live on Sky Sports. Um, let's start with the undercard over here. We saw... Um, wins for Samuel Antwi, although it wasn't televised. A points win for him against Omir Rodriguez. Um, what else did we have on the card? Um, Aaron McKenna with a points win against Jordan Grant, who was a real, real late replacement again. There was a lot of late replacements, and a lot of the times the guys didn't get knockouts. They actually went the distance. Aaron McKenna, another one, 16-0. Six-round points win against Jordan Grant, 6-3. and three. Shaquille Thompson, I did say I think it would go to points, and it did. So if, if, if anyone jumped on that, then congrats to you. He's now 10-0, and 0, a points win over... Six rounds against Robert Talarek, who's now 27-18 and 18 with three draws. He was deducted a point in round six for a low blow. Shaquille Thompson, but still managed to win on the cards there, or on the the sole card, which was the referee's card. Um, what else did we see? We saw Karis Artingstall, a very predictable win for her on points over six two-minute rounds against Lindsay Buzinski, who's now 4-2. and two. Artingstall now 3-0. and oh. um, Always felt that one was going to go the distance. I mean, it's an easy pick, obviously, but yeah, still yet to get a, a, a first career knockout for Artingstall. Uh, Callum Simpson, quite impressive, actually. Now 11-0. He got in there with Celso Neves, who's now 9-3 with two draws. Neves down in the first round. Um, and to be honest, did quite well to get through that first round. He then come back, managed to get to round three, but was stopped in round three. Um, quite an impressive uh, performance from Callum Simpson, who was the much bigger guy, you know, he looked huge for for super middleweight um, Simpson. But one thing that really impressed me is that um, you know Neves in his in his very most recent fight went the distance over eight rounds against Felix Cash. And even though Callum Simpson has got you know a good a good a good record with a bunch of knockouts and stuff like that, high knockout percentage, you know Felix Cash is he's the decorated amateur. He's the guy who there's a lot of hype around and. For you to get him out of there in just three rounds, 
or even early. I mean, I half fancied it would go the distance. So I think Callum Simpson's made quite a statement there, actually. Um, he did have one knockout loss as well early on. Um, you know, I say early on. It was a couple of years ago now to Padraig McCrory in just two rounds. But I didn't see that fight, and I'm not too sure what happened there for Celso Neves. But I remember him, if, if I'm not mistaken, I remember him kind of pushing Felix Cash quite close, if I'm not mistaken. So, um, yeah, you know, it's, it's a big, big statement there from Callum Simpson, who, like I say, looked about weight class above him, really huge, huge. I'm not sure if he just looked massive for the weight or um, or Neves looked really small for the weight. But anyway, brilliant stuff for Simpson. Now 11-0 with nine KOs. Um, what else did we have on the card? We saw Michael Gomez Jr. with a split decision over 10 rounds against Levi Giles. Gomez Jr. now 19 and 1, Giles 13 and 1. It was for the English super featherweight title, which was vacant, now belongs to Michael Gomez Jr. Um, I'll be honest, I didn't see much of this fight here, but I know that Giles racked up, I think, a few of the early rounds, and a lot of people were quite annoyed in the end that Gomez somehow managed to get it on the cards. Um, so, yeah, I'm not sure. I'll be completely honest. I'm just going to be... Um you know, making things up if I start trying to talk about the fight that I didn't see. So, um, yeah, it was a close one nonetheless, but I think a lot of people felt Giles did enough there. Um, elsewhere on the card as well, Fraser Clark, again, easy to predict this one. He was able to to, to get a stoppage against Bogdan Dinu, who's now 20-5. and five. Bogdan Dinu, I think, has been knocked out in all of his losses, so I didn't think he was going to be going the distance with Fraser Clark. Like I say, second-round retirement there. Bogdan Dinu didn't want to come out for round three. Um, initially, I thought it was an injury that he was claiming on his elbow or something, but apparently it was his ribs in the end. But anyway, Fraser Clark now 6-0, and another stoppage stoppage win for him. And in the main event, Lawrence Ocoli now 19-0, a unanimous decision over 12 rounds, a defense of his WBO Cruiserweight world title. Ocoli deducted a point in round 11 for holding, and yeah, um, like I say, takes David Light's O, who's now 20-1. and I tell you what, it was an awful, awful, awful fight, and um, it's a shame, because like I say, I think we've been treated to some fantastic fights in recent weeks, and I seem to be saying that almost every week, because again, almost every week we're treated with a great fight, but this was was us, you know, being treated with an awful fight, and it was Lawrence Ocoli that made it so awful, which is even more frustrating. It's not like he fought a guy who didn't come to fight, or he fought a guy who was a spoiler. I think David Light tried to make a fight of it. But Lawrence Ocoli, you know, barely wanted to throw a powerful shot, barely wanted to let go of his right hand. Um, when he did, which was only a couple of times, he had good success, didn't want to follow it up. He wanted to just keep pouring with the jab. He's a much bigger guy in stature, and he just wanted to keep pouring with the jab and, and just tapping him, honestly. David Light barely took a heavy shot all night long. Like, I don't think Lawrence Ocoli could have knocked anyone out if he hit him with those shots that he hit Light with. It was such a bizarre performance. A lot of people were saying Ocoli was supposed to steamroll this guy, knock him out in one round or two rounds. Maximum is going to go five or six rounds there's no way in the world it's going 12 and it did and it just goes to show how unpredictable boxing can be at times but I mean he was always going to win the fight I don't think he lost a round aside from the one where he had a point deducted but it was just such a weird fight I mean Lawrence Ocoli was much better than this guy it was his first fight under Sugar Hill Stewart who we've seen likes to implement you know quite an aggressive style to his fighters we've seen Tyson Fury show that of course and others in the past but in recent times the likes of Tyson Fury perfect example totally changed his style from being 
not negative, but you know, he's turned him into a very aggressive fighter, very much a come forward uh, fighter. And Lawrence Ocoli, I mean, he seemed to go back to old ways. It looked like the old Lawrence Ocoli, who people used to hate watching, who, who liked to hold a lot, and like I say, gets a point deducted for holding in this fight. You know, he was quite exciting under Shane McGuigan, and um, you know, I felt that he he got a lot of unjust stick that. I think was deserved back in the day, but not any time recently because of his good performances. But this here was like, honestly, like uh, such a backward step in terms of how exciting he's been in recent times and how unexciting he used to be. It was like a jump back to those days, which was so weird and, and kind of doesn't make any sense even now. But how he can be happy with that performance, I do not know. It was just like, okay, he barely took a punch. And, uh, you know, I guess, you know, if he was, I don't know, if he was uh, planning on going for a nice modelling shoot the next day, I'd understand maybe the reason behind his, his uh, decision to fight like that. But again, as a cruiserweight, who can punch? I mean, remember, this guy is known as Lawrence TKO, you know? And, uh, yeah, I, I just don't know. I really, I was just I was just so confused. It's almost as if he put a bet on himself to win on points, because I think the money would have been quite good on that. No one thought he was going to go to distance. Unbelievable. Moving out now, though, to the Telford International Centre in Telford. This one was on BT Sport over here. Moses Itauma now 2-0. Another knockout in the first round. He got in there with the undefeated 2-0 with one draw. Ramon Ibarra, um, again, gets a first-round knockout. Ibarra down prior to the stoppage, so... 2-0, two first round KOs for Moses Itaum. I still want to see him tested. Still only 18 years of age. Um, elsewhere on the card, Jason Cunningham now 32-7. It was always going to go 10 rounds. He got in there with Miguel Gonzalez, who's now 33-4. It's a good win for Cunningham. I think, you know, Gonzalez really, in my eyes before the fight, you know, was in with a chance of winning the fight. But yeah, it was it was quite a bore fest, and you know both guys are not punchers. It was always going to go ten, like I say. So, wasn't the most um, the most uh, you know thrilling fight, and you know like I say, wasn't very entertaining at all. It was for the vacant WBO International Super Bantamweight title, but good for Cunningham to get a decent scalp on his resume, especially coming off that that brutal knockout loss to um, to the South African Zelani Tete. Um, Elsewhere on the card, we did see that rematch, and we did see, you know, a definitive finish now. Nathan Heaney, a unanimous decision over 10 rounds against Jack Flatley. Heaney now 17-0, Flatley now 20-4 with a draw. Um, I don't want to see the third fight. I think there's no need. I think Heaney is probably a little bit better than a lot of people gave him credit for, or maybe... Flatley's not as good as people gave him credit for, but it was for the vacant WBA Continental middleweight title, so it it looks like maybe they're going to try to push Heaney down the WBA route, which is a bit unusual for a you know for a Frank Warren fighter. But having said that, there were there were a lot of regional belts on the line on this card, and we saw the WBO regional title, a WBA and a WBC regional title on the line. So yeah, interesting, but. Um, yeah, good stuff for Heaney, good stuff for Heaney, you know, I think he's he's definitely getting a lot better, I think he, he got a lot of stick again early on that I think was quite unjust, 
And um, yeah, I think he's improving all the time, and he's he's got a hunger for the sport, and obviously brings a brilliant atmosphere, brings a bunch of you know paying fans, and yeah, there's nothing wrong with it. I quite like it. I'm on the I'm on the uh, I'm on the I'm on the hype train, maybe perhaps. Uh, the I don't think it was no, it wasn't the main event in the end, but it should have been. It was definitely another contender for fight of the year. Andrew Kane, ten and zero. I think he had nine KOs going in, a split decision loss over ten rounds to. Iron up Baluta, and I know I'm saying that first name wrong. He's now 16 and 4. Baluta down twice in the first round, Kane down once in the ninth round. It was for the WBC International Silver Super Bantamweight title. Again, just a fight that no one probably thought would be as good as what it was. Um, Andrew Kane, like I say, big puncher. A lot of people were tipping him to actually knock Baluta out when no one had knocked Baluta out before. They thought Kane could be the guy to do it. I wasn't so sure, and I fancied Baluta for a slight upset. Um, and he was he was quite a big price as well. Um, and obviously, I know myself. You know, I've watched Baluta many times. I've even seen him spar behind closed doors. The guy spars exactly like how he fights. He throws a billion shots, and he's tough as hell. Doesn't stop coming forward. Doesn't stop throwing. Very hard to deter. And I was intrigued because he was getting in with Kane, who, you know, on paper, in terms of knockout percentages and stuff, was probably the biggest puncher he'd been in with as a pro. You know, we've seen him in there with the likes of, obviously, your, your David Oliver Joyce's, your, your Michael Conlon's and uh, TJ Doheny. These guys are not big punchers, but Andrew Kane, big puncher, strong for the weight, solid fighter, good prospect, but obviously bit off a bit more than he could chew and, you know... I don't know if he emptied the tank a little bit in the first round and maybe got a bit tired as the fight went on, but Beluta just kept on coming, and credit to him, you know, he made the fight a brilliant fight, he he was he was hurt, you know, a, a couple times in the fight, obviously down twice in the first, but he battled back, as, as we should have known he'd do, and obviously managed to bloody up the face of Kane in the end, and I think the cut, I think it was his nose, Andrew Kane, it was really bothering him, and like I say, down in the ninth round, and I think the rightful winner in the end, brilliant stuff for, for Baluta. I think it was really, really impressive and really happy for him. But Andrew Kane can come again. They were saying that they still think he's going to be a world champion in the in the future. I think that's a bit strong given what we just saw there to Baluta. But, you know, nonetheless, all the best to him in his comeback. Uh, moving out now to the Save Mart Arena in Fresno, California, USA over here. Sinisa Estrada now 24-0, a, well, I was going to say a defense, but it was actually a unification with the undefeated Tina Ruprech as well, it was for the WBC and WBA minimum weight world titles, 10 two-minute rounds, unanimous decision for Estrada, 24-0, Ruprech now 12-1 with a draw, um, yeah, I mean, Estrada, she was the favorite, big favorite going in for good reason, I um, think she's got a hell of a lot of skills, obviously only a minimum weight, um, can can punch as well fairly hard for her size as well, but um, yeah, I, I thought it was going to go the distance, and, and I thought she'd win on points, and that is what happened, so good stuff for her, you know, she boxed really well, disciplined, and got the job done, and in the main event, obviously, Jose Carlos Ramirez, now 28-1, and one, a KO in round 11 against Richard Comey now, um, now 30 and five with a draw. Comey down twice in round 11. It was it was a, a eliminator there for the WBC super lightweight title. Um, just briefly from me on it, I I I mean it was an exciting fight early on actually, but Ramirez just started to take over and 
I was quite impressed by Ramirez. You know, he took some good shots as well, showed a good beard, um, but came back and just had too much for Commie, you know, too much for Commie. I'm not entirely sure how much Commie's got left. Obviously, he was outsized. We knew that going in. But, um, yeah, I think it's, it's, it's a big statement there to get Commie out of there. You know, it's something that Lomachenko couldn't do. Obviously, Lomachenko also is a lot smaller than Ramirez. But I just think that you can... You know, you can look at this win here on paper and say it's an impressive win. And it's one of Ramirez's best wins of his career. You know, he was very, very disciplined and boxed a really good fight. And like I say, there were good moments in there, some really good back and forths. But all round, he, he just had the answers for Comey. And um, yeah, Comey taking that body shot in the 11th round and deciding to stay on one knee while he was counted out and shaking his head. I mean, it wasn't really a good look for those that like to jump on the Q word. But, you know, it is what it is. Moving out now to this one. It's the final card to mention. I'm going to come to you, Eddie, in a second, so be ready. But let's talk about the undercard. Chris Colbert with a bit of a gift decision in many people's eyes. A unanimous decision over 10 rounds against Jose Valenzuela, who's now 12-2. and two. Colbert now 17-1. Uh, and one. A lot of people felt he was extremely lucky there. I think he was even down in, 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 in the early part of that fight, if I'm not mistaken. Elsewhere on the card, um, Jesus Ramos, now 20-0, and 0, a TKO for him in round 7 against Joseph Spencer, now 17, uh, now 16-1. and 1. Spencer down in round 1 as well. Joey Spencer loses his 0. It's a fight I think didn't really need to happen. I think Joey Spencer um, obviously was thrown in the deep end here a little bit too soon, I think. I think they could have moved him a bit better than that. Cody Crowley now 22-0, another really good fight. He got in there with Abel Ramos. It was a majority decision over 12 rounds. Again, Ramos was always going to come to fight. I knew that, and he, he certainly pushed Crowley as well in those mid-rounds. Um, Ramos 27-6 and six with two draws, much better than his record suggests. Cody Crowley, though, certainly on a, on a really good run now. And, um, you know, obviously a title fight, I think, incoming for him. But the main event, obviously, um, I should have mentioned, MGM Grand Las Vegas, if I didn't already say, live on Showtime pay-per-view. I'm sure you found a way around it, Eddie. David Benavidez now 27-0, and 0, a unanimous decision over 12 rounds against Caleb Plant, now 22-2. and 2. It was for the interim WBC World Super Middleweight title. Once again, Eddie, what a fight. Yeah, man. <laughs> I could I, I I actually bought the card. I wanted to see this so bad that, you know, I said, you know what, I'm just gonna stream it. Stream it on um I, I think it was Showtime if I'm not mistaken, right? And I streamed it. And I watched every fight on the card. I seen the Chris Colbert fight. The Chris Colbert fight, yeah, I can say it was I was I could say that was a gift. You know, what I mean it's kinda hard to you know, he because he went down early. And he like kept getting hurt. He kept getting caught with good shots. Um, but I, I, we're not talking about that one. I'm sorry, I digress. But yeah, no, okay. one. I didn't know you saw the whole card. Just yeah, 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 yeah. I saw the whole card. I, I saw the Joey Spencer, and it's funny when you were saying it. I was thinking, I was like, you know, when Joey Spencer fought, he was the one who actually pressed for it. He wanted that fight, which is kind of crazy. But <laughs> I mean, uh, you know, some some guys are a little bit. I don't want to say delusional because I, I don't know. Maybe he really believed that he was, you know, good enough to handle that at that stage. But he really wanted – He, I think he, he was the one saying that, he, you know, he set himself up essentially. I think it was in um, the build-up to the fight. So, um, And, uh, of course, the other fight. You know, 
the other fight with um, uh, what's the guy? He had been homeless at some point. I can't remember his name at the moment. You had just mentioned it. I can't remember exactly what the Cody name was. Cody Crowley. Cody Crowley. Yeah, you know him and it was Abel Ramos, right? That it fired. That was uh, uh, yeah. uh, the other kid's brother, right? Well, you know, I, I was it was I was a little bit annoyed by it. I mean, I don't I understand boxing. You know, it's not a tickle contest. You know what I'm saying? But there are certain rules and certain things that were going on with Cody Crowley, which I don't mind him being as busy. But some of the some of the tactics were a little bit like, you know, you, you want to give like, you know, warnings for holding. And you know what's crazy about that is that I watched in the main event, Kenny Bayless wasn't wasn't given any 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 warnings or holdings or anything like that to uh, um. So Taylor Plant, and then I, but I, but then I watched this fight, and obviously that's not the same ref. But it was like if you would not warn Caleb Plant for any of that, then you look at some of the stuff that he was doing, and it was like, I guess they just wasn't paying attention to those things that you know on that day. It was just like it was just so. I thought I thought in 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 certain instances the refing was a little bit like could have been better. You know what I mean? Uh, especially in the in the main event, but. I think at the end of the day, Cody Crowley would end up winning the fight, but he did start getting caught, and he got caught with a really nice shot in, I think, uh, the ninth round, I think, if I'm not mistaken. And, and and he didn't actually go down, but I think when it happened, it was actually better if he did go down, because I think if if Ramos was able to get to him, after that, he would have he would have really put him down. It may have put him out, because you know that can happen in that situation. So he actually... Got the benefit of the of the of of of, of the rest from the knockdown, but in once they looked at the replay, they took away the point or they gave him back the point. So it turned out that he didn't actually get the you know the du- deduction for the uh, 10, uh, 10 eight round. So he you know, he got the, re- the recovery you know time for it and still didn't get the point. You know what I mean? Which is which is kind of great for him. But all in all, that fight was really good as well. But as far as the main event, the main event was definitely it should have been the main event. That was a one hell of a fight. Caleb Plant did what we talked about, Joe, early and boxed really well. He did some good things. Um, he actually kept uh, uh, I was going to say Jose uh, David Benavidez a little bit on the defensive a little more than he usually would be. You know what I mean? He's normally offensive minded combination kind of kind of fighter. Um, but what what Caleb Plant was doing with the feints and, you know, and the up and down and changing levels, just different things he was doing, kind of even combination punching at times, kind of kept Benavidez on the back foot a little more than he, than he, than he should have been. Even though he was still trying to press the action, he still was a lot more hesitant than you would ever have seen him. So you got to give Caleb Plant credit there. However, once the fight hits round six, seven, and he started to really press the action, it got to the point where it, it, I thought that he was going to stop him at any point. It could have been anywhere from nine to to to, to twelve, actually. That I thought he was going to stop him, but give credit to Caleb Plant because he showed a a big time heart and kept trying to fight. He kept trying to, you know, he would even try to catch him, but he was just his. It was just everything was out of him at that time. You know what I mean? Benavidez, as advertised. One hell of a dude. It's gonna be hard to beat that kid. His motor is crazy, and and, and he's he's just and, he, and he's a puncher as well, which is crazy. A lot of times, guys who throw so many punches and are so active like that generally aren't the biggest of punchers. But he has a good good crack on top of it, 
And uh, like I said, I give Caleb Plant credit for going the distance because I just didn't see it. I didn't think he was going to be able to make it. But uh, one hell of a fight. I, I loved watching it. It was worth the 70 bucks. You know what I mean? That I spent to see it. Um, hopefully, hopefully something. Hopefully, uh, uh, both of these guys get an opportunity, an opportunity to get back in there soon. You know what I mean? And 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 um, Caleb Plant obviously to get back on to his winning ways and and Benavidez to just continue to, to ascend. I would like to see Benavidez get that fight with um with Canelo too, because that would be a hell of a fight. One interesting fight. Won't and it won't be the same. I don't think. You know what I mean, but it will. He won't. He won't overwhelm Canelo the same way. I don't think. I think it'll be an interesting, a very good fight. But I, I don't think that will happen. And I think his punch. I think Canelo's punching power would definitely play a play a part. And um, also keeping Benavidez a little bit on the back foot, not as busy as he normally would be. Kind of like Caleb Plant did early. So, like I said, it's a you know, it's a it's a it's an interesting interesting fight to look forward to, and and uh, hopefully it happens soon. Hopefully it happens soon. Um, obviously, Canelo has to deal with John Ryder before that. John Ryder, I think, will probably be on next week's show. So hopefully that happens. But anyway, my take on the Benavidez plant fight, I think I pretty much saw it a lot of the same um, as you did, Eddie, to be honest with you. I gave round one to Caleb Plant. It was obviously just a feel-out round, but uh, I gave it to him. I think it really could have gone either way, to be honest, but I think he probably just about edged it. Round two, I gave to... Uh, to, to Plant as well. Felt he was boxing really smart. Kept Benavidez behind his jab. Um, Plant's jab as well. I'm sure I've said it many times before, but right up there with one of the best jabs in boxing. I like the way he was measuring Benavidez. It was really smart stuff. Round three, um, Benavidez had a bit had a bit more success in that round. He was just you know walking down Plant constantly, and when the pair would exchange on the inside, Benavidez obviously had the edge in power and speed, and Plant would often lose um, the battle in those little exchanges there. But Plant was very switched on also, and although I gave Benavidez that third round, it was still close. I think Benavidez, um, one thing I noticed anyway, was that he just wasn't phased at all with Plant's, uh, Plant's punches, but probably a little frustrated with Plant as well, making him miss a lot in that in that in that first three rounds to be honest round four a beautiful round for Caleb Plant in that fourth more more excellent smart boxing he was making Benavidez fall short with his shots Plant was using his fantastic head movement the feints that you alluded to as well Eddie were, were brilliant we were seeing everything really from from Plant and that was when again we started to see that strategic holding that he was you know implementing as part of his game plan um, Caleb's jab again I think was winning him the fight I had it 3-1 to Plant after four Four rounds. Round five was a close one. Um, again, Plant made Benavidez miss a lot, and even at one time he did the old Matador move, where you know where did that punch go? It was over there somewhere. Um, but it was a close round. I don't think he, um, you know, it was it was that smooth for Caleb Plant. Now, I agree that the turning point kind of came around the mid rounds, but sadly I didn't pay anything for the fight and my stream cut out so I actually missed round six and seven so I'm glad that you saw it all and filled in those gaps there and when I got back in in the start of round eight obviously I saw a huge round for Benavidez there seemed like he started to finally get to plant and plant again was was doing more holding it was quite excessive it was smart but it was excessive and you know that was I think the round where we saw the cut on plant's nose and it seemed to 
seemed to be causing him a few issues. It seemed like he was starting to unravel a bit and Benavidez was starting to load up, you know, savage mode activated. Round nine, another Benavidez round was really starting to take over. Plant again starts to look tired at that point, starts to look a bit overwhelmed. Round 10, a massive round for Benavidez. Plant wasn't even throwing back really and I felt that the referee or the corner should have been having a look there um, you know I did think the stoppage was was imminent and Benavidez was getting more and more spiteful as the rounds went on at that point and Plant was just holding and bleeding like I say not really throwing back round 11 another huge round for Benavidez I thought that he might get the stoppage a few times in that round and I was expecting a big 12th as well and then the 12th round I actually think was quite a close one really I think Caleb saved a little something for that 12th and final round but yeah ignore my scorecard I don't even think I've totaled it up you know to be honest with you but uh, like I say I missed round six and seven where the turning point seemed to take place but yeah I think Plant obviously did really well to go 12 rounds not many people do that with Benavidez and yeah definitely had success early in the fight obviously showed unquestionable heart definitely could have could have been saved and pulled out but obviously wouldn't have wanted it to end like that for him and great to see two men put aside their rivalry at the end and show that good sportsmanship as well, which we don't always see. But when we do, it's really refreshing, especially in boxing. This isn't a game of soccer or a game of basketball where there's you know rivalries and then at the end we see a handshake. It's, this is two men trying to take each other's heads off that you know say they love each other, have a hug, and um, you know almost create that kind of that bond that is is hard to imagine for guys that don't fight and you just go wow these guys tried to take each other's heads off and now they're like kissing each other's kids and stuff like they're they're like they're like good friends now it's lovely to see when we see it done properly um that's about it though for the review part of the show uh, there was a lot to cover there so that's it for that the final thing for me to do in this part is to welcome this week's special guest Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the undefeated world-ranked super featherweight contender. He's one of the most avoided fighters in boxing. It is, of course, Mr. Albert Bell. Albert, welcome back on the show, my man. Uh, thanks for having me back, man. Appreciate it. Hey, it's my pleasure, Albert. So we last spoke back in September. Um, it wasn't that long ago. You obviously haven't boxed since then, but you do finally have a date now, May 13th, at home in Toledo. Um, you'll be boxing William Encarnacion, uh, the, the, the Dominican 2012 Olympian. Tell me what you know about your opponent, my man. Um, Not too, too much. I know he fought some guys on the top rank, um, on the top rank side, you know, uh, they use them a couple times to test their guys, such as like Adam Lopez and uh, um, Abraham Nova. So um, I only I seen a little bit of him, you know, but that's all I really know about him. You know, I know he's a tough fighter, tough competitor, and he has a good record. So just looking forward to getting back in the ring and you know, um, getting my first fight of 2023 underway. Yeah, for sure. And um, as you mentioned there, obviously, you know, he, he had that close fight with um, with uh, Adam Lopez, who I rate as, as a good fighter. Um, you'll be defending your WBO, NABO title as well. Obviously, this guy is coming for your ranking. He can punch as well. Um, are you expecting a hard fight here, Albert? No, not really. Um, <laughs> I don't really expect none of my fights to be hard because of my style, so... You know, I'm just gonna um, you know, give him a good boxing lesson, a good boxing lesson, you know, and um, look to perform and be be dominant per usual. 
um, as long as the fight goes. And the last time we spoke, you were heavily linked with the UK's Archie Sharp. You even called him out, which is something I never thought I'd see you call anyone out. Uh, we were hoping that you'd be fighting him next. From your point of view, what exactly happened? Because you had, obviously, back and forths on Twitter. It looked positive. It looked respectful. But what what seemed to happen for it to go wrong? Um, We just... we it, that, that fight still is in the making, you know. um, It was some hold-ups, you know, with, uh, with a few things, but hopefully the later this year we could try to still make that fight happen because he wants to fight i want to fight he's he's highly avoided i'm highly avoided we have about the same record we both top three in the world he's number one on number three so we just trying to get the wbo to make it a final eliminator so that the winner of us can fight the winner of oscar valdez versus emilio navarrete and we're just trying to get it all in writing um i had a car i was involved in a bad car accident earlier this year so once they did finally kind of like come with something, it was like um, April 14th, I believe. Yeah. And I was just like shaking back from my injury. So it was no way possible. I was even going to be able to make weight that quick, let alone be ready for a fight. So um, so they moved along with their plans April 14th. I got something real quick, May 13th. And, you know, um, we both win. And hopefully we can revisit the conversation immediately. And let's line it up, and just we're just trying to make sure it's it's uh, it's for the you know for the for the for the final eliminator. Yeah, which of course makes perfect sense. Now I had no idea about you being involved in a car crash, Albert. Tell me what happened with that. Yeah, um, I was in the passenger seat of a car, and um, my friend um, came around a bend too fast, and uh, next you know we is almost upside down, you know, so I, my foot got banged up and my right hand got banged up in the accident. So I just took some time off. I had to shake back from the injuries because uh, I could barely walk at the time, you know, without a boot. So I'm back in training, back looking good and sharp and back sparring. So I'm ready for whatever now. But at that time, when they told me uh, April, I, it was no way I could even, I was even, I couldn't even walk right at that time. Wow, and your friend's name isn't Errol Spence by any chance. <laughs> no, 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 no. And that is my friend, but that's not the friend I was with. <laughs> Albert, um, on a more kind of serious note, um, I wanted to touch on it as well. I mean, since we last spoke, uh, you, you tragically lost your mother. Judging by your social yeah. media, it seemed like it hit you real hard. How are you in regards sure. to that now, my man? Um... Yeah, it's, it's tough. You know, it's uh, it's hard to live life without somebody you you didn't see it with. You know, we all know it's coming one day, but to for it to actually hit home and it's it's tough. You know, it's a battle every day. You know, and it's so fresh still. It just happened in January. You know, it's only March, so I'm battling with it every day. It's an emotional roller coaster, up and down. You know, but I'm just trying to stay focused and work through the pain. And just do the thing that she, you know, she birthed me to do, which is boxing to be a champion and continue on and just, you know, carry her, her memory in a positive manner and not hang my head too much and just do the things I know she would want me to do, which is carry on and keep being great. Yeah, because your mother was a big supporter of your career. For sure, for sure. 
Yeah. And can you take some kind of, I mean, I guess you kind of answered this question, but I was going to ask, can you take some kind of motivation from her passing? I know it's obviously, oh, for sure, for yeah, sure. it's, it's very sad, but if you can take a positive away and, and add that to your mindset in your career, it, it can be a good thing in some crazy way, if that makes sense. Yeah, it's most definitely. It's just fuel to my fire, you know, fuel to my passion, fuel to my hunger, my desire. It's easy for me to block things out, you know. It's really just making me want to get in there, you know, and show and prove and just do things because I'm really sorry and irritated with it because, you know, I was supposed to have been a world champion if things would have went right. You know, I was been supposed to give my mama hand her my first world title if the politics of boxing and being blackballed and being ducked and avoided wasn't in the picture. So now they got to pay for that. So, you know, I'm definitely on a mission. Brilliant to hear, man. God bless you. And um, since we last spoke, the the 130-pound division, your division, has gained a new champion, Oshaki Foster. He upset the odds against Ray Vargas. What's your opinion on on, on Foster, Albert? Um, I didn't think it was upset. Um, Oshaki's a slick boxer, you know what I mean? He's, he's another avoided guy, you know? It's a lot of um, myself avoided, Oshaki Foster was avoided. And over in the UK, uh, Archie Sharp is avoided, you know. So it's some guys that is avoided in the division. You know, it just don't work out all the time where we're trying to fight each other or whatever the case may be. But um, he is one of those guys that was, you know, had the uh, politics against him and things like that as well. So it's happy to see an underdog win. I watched the fight. He boxed brilliant. He looked good. Um, I'll box him every round. I'm, I'm happy for him that he got his chance and his shot, you know, and I wish him the best. And obviously, again, when we last had you on, we spoke about your sparring with Lomachenko. He's now fighting Devin Haney one week after your fight. How do you see that fight playing out, my man? Yeah, I sparred Devin. He's the last camp as well, too. So I've been there with both guys. I, I sparred Devin a few times. I, I sparred, first time I sparred Devin, we were kids. We sparred again a few, few years ago. Then we sparred again his last camp. Um, uh, Devin, he's going, in, he's, he's going into his prime. He's Settling to his grown man strength and all the things that make sure he's sharp right now. Uh, Lomachenko is getting, he's peaking in his career. You know, he's at the last little bit to be great. You know, they need to pull it off. So I know he's coming with everything. He knocked the ring Ross off after the year of being away from the sport against Jermaine Ortiz. It wasn't his best of performance, but I think he'd be more prepared for this fight. And I think Devin is just cooking on all cylinders right now. So I just think it's a great fight on paper, you know, um, Devin's going to be the favorite, I believe. Um, but it's just about getting in there and executing the game plan because I know Lomachenko's bringing his best foot forward. But uh, Devin's the much bigger man. He's got youth on his side. Uh, he, they both have great boxing IQs. I'm just ready to see a good fight, you know. I'm, um, I'm definitely going to go out there and be in attendance. And, um, you know, I just, I just wish him the best. But I'm real close to Devin, so I'm pulling for Devin. You know, that's my guy. There we go. It's going to be a fantastic fight. And my my final real question for you before we let you go, Albert. Um, I don't know if you care much about it, but obviously a big fight takes place in the UK this weekend. American Jermaine Franklin comes over to face Anthony Joshua, who of course is coming off back to back losses. Do you have a view on that fight? Um, not really. I know. Um, I know Joshua has been over here working with uh Coach Derek, who's a great trainer. You know, um, I just want to see how I play off. I really never seen uh, Jermaine fight, though, you know. I know um, Joshua is a great fighter. You know, he just – he's there to be great against the best. You know, he's only lost to some of the best fighters. So, um, 
I'm just looking to see what he does. You know, um, I wish both guys the best, you know, and um, I hope they have a, just a great performance and put on a great show for the fans and be an entertaining fight and may the best man win. May the best man win. I'm excited for it. I'm sure a lot of others are as well. And just finally, Albert, if you've got any closing words just to the listeners, if you want to sign out with a message before we let you go, say whatever you like, my man. Oh, uh, you know, um, just stay stay tuned in. You know, um, keep supporting. I uh, keep it, you know, you know, all the way real and live and high going, truthful and honest. I'm a truthful fighter. You know, um, I'm one of the best out there. It's just I'm just waiting on my time and. Um, God willing it's coming soon y'all see me with a world title God willing my man like I say May the 13th is the first stop get that out of the way then the big fights are next I'm sure they will be listen Albert it's always a pleasure speaking with you my man thanks for your time best of luck May 13th and we'll speak sometime afterwards likewise thank you appreciate you for having me stay blessed okay now it's time for part 2 on this week's show this part of course the News part of the show, we're going to start here with this one, it takes place, it's a fight announcement, it takes place uh, on May the 13th uh, at the Stockton Arena, it's going to be live on ESPN, we're going to see Yanebek Alim Kanuli, again I think many people say say his name a bit different, but I think we all agree that his first name is definitely Janebek, or I just said Yanebek, so God knows, but anyway, he gets in with Stephen Butler, uh, that is... Um, an interesting fight, really. I mean, it's for the WBO middleweight world title, but Stephen Butler, obviously 32 and 3, you know, been banged out on all three occasions where he's lost the fight, got knocked out in five by Moretta, knocked out in five by by Jose Macias, knocked out in seven by Brandon Cook. Um, I don't want to say it's a, it's, it's a gimme fight, but it's a fight that Alim Kanuli shouldn't really have much trouble in. I mean, I say that, I thought the same about Denzel Bentley when he obviously took him the distance, which was quite surprising. But yeah, that that's the fight to mention. That's the main event. And also for the vacant WBO World Bantamweight title, we're going to see Australia's Jason Maloney, 25-2, and two, getting in there with Vincent Astrolabio as well, who um, I think I saw fight someone. Oh yeah, he fought um, Rigondo, beat. Rigondo in one of the biggest upsets of 2022 he had Rigondo down in round eight and beat him unanimously over 10 rounds so that's where I know that name from so that could be quite interesting but all the best there to Jason Maloney and then of course it's uh, it's official now it's been announced I think we all kind of knew it was happening anyway, anyway behind the scenes but um, yeah undisputed lightweight champion Devin Haney defends all the titles against Vasily Lomachenko May 20th at the MGM Grand Garden in Las Vegas live on ESPN Plus pay-per-view I don't know if that's a new platform or whatever but it's going to be a fantastic fight we're all going to be watching I'm sure that's it for the news though moving on now to the preview part of the show Um, I'm going to start here with this one it takes place I'm going to say tonight because this this podcast will be going out on a Friday. So, yeah, it takes place tonight. It's going to be live on Channel 5 at the York Hall, Bethnal Green, London. Always great to have a fight card there. But on the undercard, we're going to see Abbas Baral, 12-1. He gets in with Ferenc Katona, who's 11-9 with three draws. Harry Scarf, this could be a good one here. It's definitely, I think, going to go the distance. Harry Scarf, 11-2, gets in with Jordan Dujon, who is 8-1. Uh, that is over 10 rounds for the vacant WBO European Super Welterweight title. Jordan Dujon, 3-1 um, to one underdog, 4-1 to one on points, um, his, his price. Uh, 
very, very tempting price there. And Harry Scarf, the, the clear favourite. But yeah, that one's got points written all over it. Nick Parper as well on the card. 10-1. and one. He gets in with Michael Webster, who's 7-0. and oh. It's for the vacant English Cruiserweight title over 10 rounds. But the main event, friend of the show, Harlem Eubank, 16-0. and oh, Gets in with Christian Urizkieta. Uh, that is over 10 rounds. Urizkieta is 21-5 and five with two draws. Obviously, all the best to Harlem Eubank. Um... Didn't really have the easiest the easiest of times last time out getting in there with with uh, Tom Farrell had a moment uh, of 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 madness a little bit in that fight but yeah obviously oh wow just as I'm as I'm talking I've just realised that no Urus Kieta is out of the fight I was quite looking forward to that because oh wow that's annoying I was looking forward to that because um, yeah obviously. Urus Keta, we'd seen him fight Lewis Ritson in the past, but no, it appears here that they've got a late replacement, Miguel Antin, who's 20 and 11 with a draw, been knocked out five times. This is the first time I've heard of this guy, so bear with. Um, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. Okay, wow. Racked up a bunch of wins early on, then started the losing streak, got knocked out in a round by Jeremias Ponce, got knocked out. Uh, by a few other guys went the distance uh, lost unanimously to Yvonne Mendy back in 2020 um, lost to Kane Gardner wow okay this is yeah this is easy pickings here for Harlem Eubank uh, could be a knockout really that's that's throwing me off a bit but all the best to Harlem anyway but yeah it doesn't look like his opponents have much notice probably like 48 hours or something like that moving out now to the National Stadium in Dublin Ireland over here friend of the show Jason Quigley 19 and 2 gets in with Kim Polson who's 30 and 6 that's over 10 rounds there at super middleweight all the best to Jason Quigley had him on the show years ago to be honest with you but um like I say, once you've been on the show once, you're a friend of the show for life. And all the best to him in his quest here uh, to, I guess, get back to, you know, world world rankings and stuff. I don't think he's currently in possession of a world ranking, but I'd like to see him get back there. Um, it's interesting. I think he's also the promoter of the show as well. So I'm not sure if he has promoted any other cards in the past, but all the best to him promoting and fighting in the main event. Uh, moving out now to the, the the big one of the weekend. It goes down at the O2 Arena in Greenwich, London, United Kingdom. It's going to be live on DAZN, and it's not on DAZN pay-per-view anywhere. So, um, yeah, obviously fantastic for UK uh, fight fans as well that Anthony Joshua is not on pay-per-view for the first time in I'm not entirely sure how long. Um, so, yeah, anyway, we're going to we're gonna get to that main event in a minute, but let's start with the undercard. We're going to see Campbell Hatton, 10-0, getting in there with Lewis Fielding, who's 10-7. and 7. That's over eight rounds there. So, quite active, uh, Campbell Hatton has been recently. I think he boxed, um, yeah, less than a month ago, actually. So, yeah, he did six rounds on that occasion, gets in with Lewis Fielding. I've got a sneaky suspicion that he might actually stop Lewis Fielding, but I don't think he has much trouble with him at all. Uh, moving up the card once again, we're going to see John Hedges, 7-0, and getting in there with Daniel Bosianski, who's 11-2. and It's over eight rounds there at light heavyweight. I wondered where I'd saw that name before, Bosianski, but I remember he went the distance with Tommy Fury. That's where I know him from. I remember him being quite, quite tough and uh, quite a big sort of tall guy obviously John Hedges is massive as well but yeah I'd expect Hedges to probably win that one on points um 
We're going to see Jordan Flynn, 8 and 0, getting in there with Kane Baker, who's 18 and 9 with a draw. Kane Baker always comes to win, but obviously he's quite limited. So over eight rounds, I'd expect Jordan Flynn to win that one on points as well. Um, one that I definitely don't see going points is Fabio Wardley, 15 and 0. He gets in there with Michael Polite Coffee, 13 and 3. Um, obviously Wardley on a heck of a run, 14 knockouts, and he's coming off. Um, yeah, 14 in a row, you know, he, he went the distance the only time ever in his career in his pro debut back in April 2017, so it's, <laughs> that's crazy, six years ago, and ever since then he's been banging everyone out most of the time within, within, uh, or all, all of the times within five rounds, which is mad, the only, the only person actually that took, oh no, within six rounds, sorry, Eric Molina took him to five, but Mariano Struns took him to six. But in recent times, I mean, wow, he's on a really good run. Nathan Gorman, round three. Chris Healy, round two. Daniel Marks, round two. Nick, we Nick, Webb, uh, Nick Webb, round one. Richard Larty, round two. You know, Simon Valili, round three. So, yeah, I'm expecting him to pretty much do the same to Michael Polite Coffee. Even though, you know, this is this is a must-win fight for Coffee. I'm hoping he turns up in some decent shape. If he comes in really big and he hasn't trained properly, then he's just he's just throwing his career away at this point. So hopefully it's a good one. But again, either way, doesn't matter if he comes in in great shape or not. I don't think it goes 10 rounds. It's for the vacant WBA Continental Heavyweight title. Um elsewhere on the card as well, Galau Yafai, 3 0. It's a 10-rounder here. He gets in with Moises. Cayeros, who is 36 and 10 with a draw. Um, Cayeros been banged out four times out of his 10 losses, got knocked out in two rounds in his most recent loss to Julio Cesar Martinez. However, we know that he's a real banger. Galau Yafai, um, I'd obviously expect Galau Yafai to win, probably on points, to be honest with you. Again, on the on, on the card, another fight. Austin Amo Williams, 13-0, gets in with, with uh, River Wilson Bent, who's 14-2 with a draw. I'm expecting Amo Williams to win this one by stoppage, you know. Um, River Wilson Bent, I remember, obviously, being ringside when he lost. He got absolutely pummeled by Hamza Shiraz in just two rounds uh, back in November, and that was just mad. But I was more impressed with Shiraz, whose, whose jab was incredible that night. You know, it's a good fight for Williams. It's probably one of the best fighters he'd have been in with just yet. And I don't want to write River Wilson Bent off just because he got smashed by... Hamza Shiraz, his only other loss was a real tight split decision to Tyler Denny, and that's really it, you know, I think he's not a terrible fighter, but I just think Austin Amo Williams probably going to be too big, too strong, too powerful, and um, just too good, really, so I'm expecting that one to probably end in the distance, I don't know if it will go 10 rounds there at middleweight, um, should be a good one either way, and then the main event, I'm going to come to you, Eddie, Anthony Joshua, 24-3, and three, coming off two back-to-back -back defeats to Alexander Usyk, however, in that time, um, he's, he's managed to bank himself 24 rounds with, with Usyk, he gets in there with Jermaine Franklin, 21-1, and one. um, Jermaine Franklin obviously kind of came out of nowhere, really. He was, in a lot of uh, UK fight fans' eyes, just another American heavyweight with with an undefeated record that we didn't really know much about. Is he another Charles Martin? We don't know. Obviously, we've seen him come over here in his last fight, lost a majority decision over 12 rounds to Dillian White. Extremely controversial. A lot of people felt he nicked it. And yeah, he gets a crack at Anthony Joshua, you know, coming off a loss to Dillian White. So <laughs> I'm not sure how he's managed to pull that one off. I'm sure he's going to be getting paid handsomely for it. But 
once again, I mean, he's got a really good opportunity here and, you know, probably he deserves it because if he did do enough to beat Dillian White, it was a fight that I missed because I was at the Zach Parker-John Ryder fight. I never did watch it back, but I heard it was really close and I heard that, that Jermaine Franklin deserved the victory. So good for him, I guess, in some ways to get a big opportunity after on paper losing. Um, and Dillian White, obviously, you know, he hasn't got a great opportunity off the back of it. Um, you know, I think he, what has he done since? Uh, nothing. So, yeah, great for, for, for Jermaine Franklin to get this opportunity. But it's all about Anthony Joshua. It's the Anthony Joshua show. Does he return back to uh, back to winning ways, Eddie? And if he does, is it going to be as explosive and as destructive as as the Joshua we used to know before he met Alexander Usyk? That's a, that's a, that's a real good question, Joe. And whether or not Joshua will be back to what he has been in the past, um, I honestly, I honestly think he, he. It's hard to say because you know, taking having those rounds, like you said, banked with um, a guy like Usyk, really tricky guy, good boxer, difficult, difficult style, pretty much for almost anybody to deal with. But at the same time, you know, having the expectations of people seeing him win, he's supposed to win that fight. You know what I mean? Uh, U6 coming up to heavyweight. Anthony Joshua was the big, strong destroyer. You know what I mean? It's a lot to, to 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 have on your back and then not to win and have multiple opportunities. And then you've seen how you've seen the kind of breakdown that he had at the end of it when you know he grabbed the mic and did all that. You know what I'm saying? Um, so it's it's a lot that I'm hoping for his sake and for his fans and all that he's able to get past that and just go back to boxing and just go back to being, uh, you know, trying to be the best in the world, not necessarily uh, uh, thinking about how how the negative has gone. Try to get back into a positive mindset. Work on your game, honestly. You know what I mean? Because one thing I it's hard to it's hard to say that I've seen him really improve over his last, I don't know, five, five, you know, six, six, seven fights. I've really, you know, since the, I guess you want to go all the way back to the Klitschko fight. I mean, he had, you know, he did some good things there, but he, he just shown how athletic and how strong and how, like I said, athletically gifted he is. You know what I mean? He really hasn't, I, I don't really, I don't remember seeing any other growth in his boxing ability and the things with the exception of the Andrew Ruiz fight in the second fight. But I think that was out of necessity because he knew he couldn't bang with him. You know what I mean? So he got lighter and he, and, he, and he started working on, you know, just boxing from the outside, which was a great thing. But I haven't really seen much else. You know what I'm saying? He still I think he still is. He, he from what I've seen, struggles with smaller guys who are good, talented boxers, which actually funny enough, Jermaine Franklin seems to be pretty, a pretty decent boxer. He's not a bum, pretty good fighter. You know what I mean? Obviously showing that with Dillian. He's not a real big guy. either. You know what I mean? So he's got that little bit of an, you know, an S, which has been an issue for Joshua. You know what I mean? He's had that, he's not so, he's not too, he's not real big. He's got a little bit of a style with him. You know, he got that American, you know, boxing style. You know what I mean? That, that, that swagger. So I don't know if that's a problem or going to be a problem for, for Joshua in this fight. I'm really not sure. Um, I'm hoping for his sake, he can get back and just, and if it ever comes down to it, it's like some of the things, it was like the same thing I said with him and Yusuf. I think he shouldn't go in there with the idea of finishing the fight standing. I think he should be going in there with the idea of, man, I got a good six to eight rounds of me just trying to go in and knock this guy's 
head off. If I don't, if I don't get it done, oh well. And, I mean, I guess, I guess I'm gonna lose. <laughs> I'm gonna lose by stoppage because I'm gonna be too damn tired to finish. But the reality of it is, I don't think he needs to go in there with the idea of I'm gonna go out here and shine and, and necessarily box this guy and do all of this. I think he needs to go out here with the idea of sh- destroying him, taking him apart. The same thing he should have done with Yusuf and not sit there and try to box with him. You understand what I'm saying? Look good the next fight. Right now, go out and destroy him. You know what I mean? I think that's his. I, I think that's what he really needs to do. You know what I mean? And for Franklin, obviously, just go in there and be a spoiler. You know what I mean? Not they. There's not a lot of people that are expecting too much from you in this fight, so you don't have a lot of pressure. Go out there and handle business. Do everything that you're, you know, that that, that you can do, and don't let the situation and the stage affect you, which I don't think it will because he's already been, you know, in with Dillian, and and that was a pretty big stage too. So, yeah, you know what I mean? It's an interesting fight. I'm looking forward to it. I I kind of saw some of the some of the fight with him and Dillian and. With uh, Franklin and Dillian, and I liked some of the things I saw. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, it, it's going to be a real interesting fight, I think. And, I, and I'm just, I'm just hoping that, regardless of the winner, we can get something good out of it for the heavyweight division. Yeah, like I say, I think we're all going to be tuned in to see what Anthony Joshua looks like on Saturday night. I think it's all about him, what he has left. Um, what kind of fighter he's going to look like as well under American trainer Derek James, who, for those who don't know, is obviously the man behind Errol Spence, the man behind Jamel Charlo, the 154 undisputed champion. So it's going to be interesting to see that in play as well. You know, obviously, um, I'm not aware that that um, Derek James has, has trained any heavyweights in the past. That's a completely different ball game. So it's it's, it's going to be really interesting. Obviously, gets in with 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 Jermaine Franklin. Six foot two is what he is listed at, and that brings back um, haunting memories. You know, if you're Anthony Joshua and you're looking at the statistics, because six foot two, who else is six foot two? Andy Ruiz. Who else is six foot two? Alexander Povetkin. Who else is six foot two? Carlos Takam. These are all guys he struggled with and obviously Usyk six foot three um, and we, we we saw how that went so he hasn't ever fought good against smaller guys you know guys that are six two six three so oh you've unmuted Eddie go on no it is exactly what I was saying you just confirmed it he he seems to have trouble with the smaller athletic boxing skill type fighters you know what I mean and and, and yeah and <laughs> I can't, I, I, just that little height range, I guess. I mean, I'm pretty sure it can be smaller or a tiny bit taller, like 6'3", like you said, with you sick. But it's just, it's, it's, it's going to be a hell of a, hell of a thing for him to solve. It's like, you got to get the monkey off his back in that. You know what I mean? He's got to, he's got to be able to go in there and win and win convincingly. After those situations with those fights with you sick, he's got to be able to go in there and dominate. That's why I'm saying he needs to go in there with the idea He's being trained by Derek James. He needs to take a page out of that book. You know what I mean? And be aggressive. It's intelligent aggressiveness, but aggressive. You understand? And 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 I think that will, you know, and he's got to, he can, I'm not saying he can't box, but in a situation like this where he struggled with these kind of guys, he needs to go out there and destroy. That's what he needs to be focused on. 
Yeah, I agree with what you're saying, Eddie. Um, you know, he, he has to look good, Anthony Joshua. His reputation is now on the line more than ever. You know, coming off those back-to-back -back losses, yeah, they were Tarusik, but no one has got Anthony Joshua as the best heavyweight in the world anymore. No one, I don't even think, has him as number two. Most people don't even have him at number three. He's, he's number four and, and beyond that. Um, and yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's like... I, I think in the past he's he's overlooked guys and you know I don't think he thought that there was much danger attached to Andy Ruiz and he cannot afford to do that with Franklin but I think Franklin's the kind of guy that you can easily overlook because he doesn't you know he's not this massive puncher there's nothing about him that that suggests it's going to be a tough fight as such he just doesn't have that x factor about him so Anthony Joshua needs to really be on the ball here and you know we talk about him you know having to put on a great performance he's got to dominate he's got to be brutal he can't afford a close fight like like Dillian White had you know his career's on the line very much here if he loses that's the end of the road um you know we need a brutal performance but again I look back at his record and the performances of recent times haven't been brutal. I mean, we'd all love to see him go in there and smash the guy out in a round or two and go, wow, he's back, he's back. But it just hasn't happened for a long time, and I've touched on it before. Obviously, the two back-to-back -back losses to Usyk with Pulev, he went nine rounds. Um, Pulev, I can't even remember how old he was at the time. Obviously, went 12 rounds before that with Ruiz when he, when he uh, you know, outboxed him over 12 um, then the the fight before that, when he when he lost by stoppage to Andy Ruiz, the fight before that, he went seven rounds with Pavetkin, who again I, I've forgotten how old he was. Um, the fight before that, gone twelve with Joseph Parker. The fight before that, went ten with Carlos Takam. The fight before that, went eleven with Vladimir Klitschko. And you've got to go right back to the fight before that, Eric Molina. You know, Eric Molina, third round TKO, when Eric Molina, by the way, was a late replacement, if I remember correctly. And that was, what, six and a bit years ago now, since he's finished someone in, in the first half of a fight. And, you know, Franklin has shown he's tough. And, uh, yeah, I don't think we're going to see a first, you know, like a like a, an early finish. I think it goes late. And I think the later it goes, the more interesting it gets. So um, I'm actually, I'm talking this up a bit, but I'm really, 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 really intrigued just to see what Joshua looks like with all these tangibles, man. New trainer, you know, kind of still a bit of an unknown quantity in terms of the opponent. The height being the dangerous uh, height range, you know, it, it, there's so much at play here and he's in such a, you know, a, a, a terrible position. He is literally... You know, the worst time of his career, he's he's in trouble. He needs a brutal win, but I don't know if he's going to get it. We're going to see. It's going to be interesting. Uh, moving out now to the Hard Rock Hotel and Casino in Tulsa, Oklahoma, USA. This one goes down on ESPN+. Plus. Let's fly through this one as quick as we can here. Heavyweight Jeremiah Milton, 8-0 in an eight-rounder against Fabio Maldonado, 29-6. Um, Emiliano Vargas, 3-0, gets in with, with Edgar Uval, who is 2-3 with two draws. That's over four rounds there. Um, Jahi Tucker, 9-0, nine, nine I think he's only 20 years of age, a young prospect. He gets in with Nicholas Sekniashvili, who is 8-1, obviously saying that surname wrong, but it is what it is. Um, it's over eight rounds there. Jahi Tucker, perhaps one to keep an eye on. Um, again, if I didn't already say, this one's going to be on ESPN+. Plus. It's a top-ranked show. The chief support is Joet Gonzalez, 25-3. and three. Real tough guy, Joet Gonzalez. He gets in with another really tough guy, Enrique Vivas. This is over 
over 10 rounds here at featherweight. Vivas 22-2. and two. I'm expecting that to go the distance. Joet Gonzalez probably to get it on points there, but I think it definitely goes the distance. Like I say, two real tough guys. And the main event, Rabisi Ramirez 11-1. and one. Gets in with the UK's slash Ghana's Isaac Dogbe, friend of the show, really good guy, Isaac. Had him on a few weeks ago, 24-2, and two, the former WBO uh, super bantamweight world champion. Now these days up at featherweight. Um, it's for the vacant WBO world title, of course. Um, Ramirez, massive favorite, massive, massive favorite. Um, don't want to go in on it too much, but obviously Ramirez, when he lost his pro debut, we all kind of thought, whoa, this is a gold medalist here. You know, losing in his pro debut to a guy who wasn't very good. I don't even know if, if, if I can remember the guy's name. I know he come back and beat the guy when they had a rematch a few fights later. But, um, yeah, you know, lost lost his first fight. And um, he's, he's, he's really, I don't want to say improved. I, I just want to probably say lived up to his expectations more. I think that's probably more accurate there. But he's, he's, he's really been in great form. And he's been very exciting as well. Obviously, you know, you, you talk about a Cuban and and you know excitement and cubans it doesn't really go together in boxing too often but he brings a breath of fresh air to cuban boxing and yeah he's been knocking people out he's been stepping up and you know passing every test put in front of him he's got some good names on his resume already in just 13 fights and um yeah, you know, I think it's going to be a or sorry, just 12 fights I should say and I think it's going to be a really good fight obviously um you know, the way he beat Eric Donovan was really impressive, Abraham Nova, but this is the biggest step up of his entire career, you know, and I always go back to if he lost to Adan Gonzalez, then he can lose to Isaac Dogbe, but I've said so many times in the past, I love Isaac Dogbe to bits, but the guy should never have moved up to featherweight, way too small, um, but I will say that uh, Rabisi Ramirez also isn't very tall. He's only five five, but you know Dog is only five four. So yeah, he's even smaller than him. But yeah, way too small for the weight, and that's his that's his one problem, you know. And in recent times, to be honest with you, or should I say, after those two Navarrete fights that he had that were real tough fights, went twenty four rounds with Emmanuel Navarrete, took a real hiding in both fights. He hasn't really looked the same guy, dare I say it, you know. A knockout win against Chris Abelos, he wasn't great that night. And then since then, three fights, they've all been majority decisions or split decisions. He has won them all, but this is Rabisi Ramirez, who, although doesn't have as strong professional credentials as those other guys, he's shown glimpses of, of um, you know, of real special talent in his in his short pro career, and um, he just may just be a little bit too sharp, a little bit too fresh, a little bit too smart, a little bit too skillful for Isaac Dogbe, and yeah, it's uh, it's going to be a tough one for him, but definitely, you know, an upset wouldn't surprise me, I'd love to see him do it, all the best to Isaac Dogbe, Neho, as he would say, um, yeah, but it's going to be a tough one, going to be a great fight, definitely won't be missing that one, and then the final card to mention goes down at the Fiserve Forum in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, USA, um, it's a card I'm guessing is going to be on some crazy uh, platform, I don't know if it's on Triller or whatever, or it's probably going to end up on Fight TV, where all the crazy fights end up, but the promoter of the show is Jorge Masvidal, that's the UFC guy, but anyway, one fight to mention, just because he's a friend of the show, and it's the living legend, Roy Jones Jr., 66-9, and nine. he gets in with Anthony Pettis, who is a UFC fighter making his pro boxing debut, it's over eight rounds at heavyweight, all the best to Roy Jones Jr., not going to go in on it, um, obviously, 
you know, it's his 76th pro fight, Roy Jones, and I don't think he needs to do this. He's got, he's certainly got nothing to prove. Didn't have to prove anything for the last 10 or 15 years, but uh, yeah, he just can't stay away from the boxing ring. He loves it too much. But anyway, that is how we're going to end the preview part of the show. In part one, we did the review part. Uh, then we welcomed our special guest in part two. We did the news. We've just wrapped up the preview part. The final thing for me to do is to come in with the outro, which I'll do in just a few seconds. Okay, and this wraps up episode 389 of the Box Hard Podcast. I've been your host, Joey Coastman. Eddie Chambers has been with me for the duration of the show. A huge thank you to this week's special guest, the world-ranked super featherweight contender, Mr. Albert Bell. The biggest thanks of all, though, goes out to you, the listeners. I apologize once again for this podcast going out on a Friday rather than a Thursday. We've had a couple of difficulties this week, as we have had the last few weeks. Um, I just wanted to say there has been one piece of news break whilst we've been recording the show it's that matchroom have announced three new signings all three guys or i should say guys and girls are friends of the show sonny edwards the ibf flyweight world champion uh jack catterall who obviously i really just want to see you know put into a big fight certainly deserves it i hope matchroom can deliver for him and then finally shannon ryan who of course is also a friend of the show the undefeated female fighter so all the best to all three of those guys there in their in their signings here with matchroom But that's about everything from myself. Enjoy your weekends, people. Thank you all once again for tuning in, and we shall see you all again this time next week.